This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Today's podcast is brought to you by, well, us, Two Guys in a River. Dave and I have just published a new book on fly fishing called The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. The best place to find the book is on Amazon.com. It makes a great gift for fly fishers, young and old. Benjamin Franklin used to say, A penny saved is a penny earned. Sorry, Ben, but if you're a fly fisher, that proverb has to go. How about, Mega penny spent on a guide is a lot of wisdom gained. Well, it doesn't have a great ring to it, but in our experience, it's true. Uh, We've learned a lot from the guides we've hired and a few guide friends who didn't charge us. So before we look at some specific lessons, Dave, why don't you explain what our approach is when it comes to guides, because we're not flush with cash by any means. And, you know, you're going to hire a guide if if you split the cost. It's going to be $250, maybe $300 when you throw a tip in there. Uh, between two guys that's for a day so how have we done this generally we do it at least once a year we'll hire a guide and when we do we'll do it on a trip in which we have four or five days of fly fishing so one of the days we'll say hey let's try to fish some new water or we'll say hey we want to take a drift that Mm -hmm. day and so we'll hire a guide for that day now we have taken uh, and hired a guide for well, I remember that one day in the Driftless, we we used right, a guide. We were so new to it. Yeah, we just needed some new waters. We really and, wanted intel. We wanted to know where to fly fish. And yeah. in def- he he wasn't a great guide. Yeah. But in defense of him, it wasn't there wasn't a lot to guide. It just was here's the <laughs> yeah, river, yeah, right? Exactly. Here's the river. Here's your lunch. Right. And that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. So in fact, he made a comment. Oh, this will be easy after we cast a couple times. <laughs> Like, well, yeah, we fished before. We're not the world's greatest fly fishers, but we know how to cast. Yeah, so Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know, the other key, too, is what you said. Sometimes we want to uh, drift a river, and we don't own a drift boat. Nope. That's probably a good thing. Uh, we wouldn't want to be oarsmen. Uh, it's not because I don't want, I'm afraid that you're going to outfish me if I'm at the oars. It's because I don't want to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to be... Oaring when I could be fishing. Well, to that's be honest true. With you. Sometimes I think that's a curse. My friends who are really good with their drift boats, it's like, well, uh, <laughs> sorry, have fun. All with right, the take us down the river, yeah, girlfriend. I know. So. It. Okay, well, here are seven of the many lessons we've learned over the years from guides. By the way, some of these guides are really laid back. Some are pretty intense. I mean, one guy, I think he must have drank rocket fuel for oh my. breakfast. He, yeah. was, he was fun. He was great. It's like, wow. you know. And this is at 5.30 or 6 yeah, in the morning. You know, slow down. How many cups of coffee have you had? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but here we go. Seven lessons. The first is the importance of what guides have called buckets in the river. And hot zones. All right. What do you mean by buckets and hot zones? I mean, what, what's the difference? Well, I think buckets are the place or the places where the fish are concentrated. A good run, a good channel, a good pool. One of the things I remember most about fly fishing with Toby, one of our guides and who owns a fly shop, Fins and Feathers, out in Bozeman, is he would always say, hey, see that bucket up there? Okay, you know, 
and he'd give you these instructions on how to hit the bucket uh, fish over the bucket as the as the drift boat is going by. So buckets are these places that hold trout. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference between a bucket and a hot zone is the hot zone is that place in the run inside the bucket where you need to drift your fly because a foot on either side and you will not get a strike, especially yeah. when nymph, well, it's when hot zone is really about when you're nymph fishing. Mm-hmm. That's really I'm true. sure, I guess you could apply it to uh, dry yeah, I flies. I would be the same. Yeah. But, but generally um, with nymph fishing, especially, mm-hmm. I that's the one thing I learned last fall is you just, if if you're literally six inches on either side mm-hmm. of that and you're not yeah. getting a strike, it's amazing. And that's where a guide is really helpful because uh, buckets will stay the same over the years, but you have to fish a river a lot to know where some of those buckets are. I mean, some of them are obvious. You can say, oh, that looks like a great run, and it is. But Some are not as no, obvious. No, especially on a river like the Lower Madison. That's where we fished with, him, with Toby one day, and boy, it all looks the same. And, and I know from other friends who fly fish that for years, they talk about there's certain channels that you you don't know that, that, hey, this is a really good channel until you fished it for a while and you just start catching fish. So buckets will stay the same over the years. I, I was just back in the Bear Trap uh, right before it, it leaves the canyon, the Bear Trap Canyon, and becomes the Lower Madison. And, you know, that rainbow run that we fished uh, I mean, even 15 years ago, is still a good run, but the hot zone changes. Yeah, I remember times where we would catch them all at the upper end of that run, and this year it was more in the middle, and some years it's in the lower end. So, yeah, that actually is a helpful distinction. The bucket, that's where, uh, that's the run, the, the uh, hole that's really good, but the hot zone is the specific place in that where uh, you, you're really getting those hits. The thing that's interesting is that you can fish a place that has a lot of fish, a bucket, and let's say you're wade fishing, and you fish it, you cast several times, you don't catch anything, and then you move on. But what if you've never hit that hot zone, and you're in a really great place, but you just didn't manage to hit the hot zone? Well, that's, the- that is the key. In fact, that, that leads to a second lesson we've learned from the guides, and that is to cast further upstream to get a deeper drift in the hot zone. You know, part of the hot zone is, uh, is the depth. And there, there are times where uh, maybe you're not fishing deep enough. And yeah, you could solve that by adding another split shot. But sometimes the best adjustment is to, uh, to cast 10 feet further upriver, 15 feet further upriver. And then what that does is if, if you think about it, you know, every foot that that fly is drifting along, it's, it's going to drop an increment. You know, it's going to drop a couple of inches and so uh, just casting that further upstream uh, that's that's what our guide in the garden river did last fall his name was ben he really did a great job and he he'd say you know cast up 15 feet further you know right by that rock and then it'll hit the depth when it reaches the the hot zone and and it worked it's also harder than it sounds because often you're casting at an angle you have this awkward angle. Like for me, the most awkward angle, if if the if the river's coming from right to left, is to is to is to cast obviously from left to right, right upstream. Mm-hmm. I remember last fall with with that guide. He got so disgusted with me because <laughs> there was this beautiful little run, but it was a small run, and I needed to cast it upstream farther, but couldn't. And after about four or five times, he just kind of threw up his hands. 
in his head, I could see him just like, gun oh my, this, this guy's a, a train wreck. <laughs> he threw up his hands in, in, in a very short but polite way, say, let's just move on to the next run. <laughs> so it is harder than it looks, yeah, especially if you got a real awkward angle. And for me, if I'm trying to yeah. s- just kind of s- sling that fly, it, it's just hard at certain yep. angles. But exactly, it, it's this a whole idea of casting farther upstream yeah. Uh, to get a better drift through that zone. Absolutely. What else, Dave? What else have we learned from guides? Well, through the years uh, is this the idea of strike downstream when nymphing. And it's just hard to do. I don't think it's intuitive. It makes intuitive no, sense when they say it. Yeah. But if you're casting, let's say, uh, to your left, and, and the river is drifting from, uh, your fly is drifting from left to right, that when you see a strike, you need to strike to your right. Because that fish is facing to the left. He's facing upriver. Right. Yeah. And if you actually lift your rod up and, and, and like try to hook the fish like bass fishing up upwards, you'll rip it out of its mouth or it may not even, uh, may not even be fully in its mouth. I wonder yet. how many fish I've lost over the years because really until last fall, I think that was, that was Ben that really... Uh, Imprinted that on our yeah, minds. I, I mean, I would just pull up and yeah, it's not that you're going to miss every fish but you're going to miss some yeah, yeah absolutely so this idea of striking downstream when you're nymph fishing here's another one uh, fourth one and that is fish the bank uh i i was surprised the first time i was in a drift boat that what we're fishing the bank well i could do that i, I could just wade fish and fish along the bank well yeah i could for a couple hundred yards until we you know, the stretch of river goes through some private property, and plus I wasn't going to walk five miles the whole day. But uh, I was so surprised. That's what we did. We just pounded the bank. In fact, I only know of one guide, a really good guide in Bozeman, Montana, at a fly shop there, who who used to set up his clients with a Madam X. It's kind of a big fly. It almost looks like a hopper, but it's got these big rubber legs. And he would fish the middle of the river, the middle of the Yellowstone in the summer, and they would just throw that thing out. And he, you know, he did really well. But that's the only guy, that's, the only, that's an exception. He's the only guy I know that does that. I mean, the, the guides consistently move those drift boats along the bank because that's where, that's where the fish are. Yeah, fish the bank. I mean, that's true in, river, in lakes as well. Those you know, small high mountain lakes, you, you think that the big thing is to get it out as far yeah. into the lake as possible. And that's just not true, right? right? The fish are along the no. bank. They're along the bank of the yeah. river. So if you're wade fishing, lake. so if you're wade fishing uh, along a, a river, you might look out and say, "Oh boy, that looks like a good run, thirty feet out." Well, and it might be if you're on a big river like the Missouri, but a lot of times in the Yellowstone, the Madison, the Gallatin, there in uh, in Montana, and and even in some of the spring creeks that we fish in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Uh, those runs are right along the bank, and yeah. that's that's where to fish. The next is to walk your fish, especially your big fish, to the shallows rather than continuing downstream. And this is especially true in the big rivers. And several years ago, I was fishing with a guide. Steve and I were out on a drift boat, and we stopped to wade fish. And I caught this really nice rainbow. It was probably 18, 20-inch rainbow. And... I don't know, was I pretending to be Brad Pitt and the river runs through it or what? But I started walking <laughs> downstream with the fish and 
and eventually I lost it, right? You just simply can't, that big of a fish with the kind of tippet, I think I had 5X tippet uh, at, on that, at that point. And so when I came back, the guide said, hey, Dave, um, why didn't you just walk that fish over to the shallows yeah. instead <laughs> of trying to chase it downstream? Yeah. I thought, yeah, why didn't I do that? Because I just watched a river run through it and I wanted to be Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things after all these years, yeah. you're like, yep, all right. Note to self. Yeah, that is so, true. And great. probably along with that, too, I mean, the guides really teach you get the fish in as quickly as you can. Don't yep. dilly-dally. And, and release and, it as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's that's right. In fact, we have a guide friend who who says that's much more important than than uh, using uh, barbless hooks. You know, you care less about, you know, that, that's, that's not what's going to help the fish. It's going to be better if you use a barbless hook. He says get it in as quick as you can. So they're not tired out. Uh, that's going to make the difference. And so, to your point, Dave, I, I think you can do that when you're moving the fish to the shallows. Well, here's another one. Uh, be quick to change your weight and your fly pattern. And I know that's that. That sounds pretty obvious, but I'm always surprised how quick those guides are to make an adjustment. You know, I, I tend to wait. Maybe it's because I just don't want to have to. It is a hassle. Yeah, change tie your rig. a new fly and take split shot off and whatever else you have to do. But I'm always impressed with how how quick they are to change. I mean, they're problem solvers and they they know pretty soon. Eh, this doesn't seem to be working. Let's switch this up. That was especially true of our guide Ben on the Gardener last fall. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was. I mean, of course, he was high energy. Yeah, but he was the guide who. You know, at 6 a.m. in the morning was, you know, I think should have been a Marine. He probably should have been demanding mm-hmm. that we do push-ups when we, get in the, when we got on there. But he was so quick to change, you know, seriously, about four or five casts. And he goes, hmm, let me try it. He'd even try it. He goes, okay, let's try something else. He was on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. actually was a terrific guy. And I, I'd, I'd take 20 of him. Yeah. Oh, um, he was great. Every time. Really was so good. he was a super guide. So, hey, how about one more? Perhaps the final and most important is... Mend your line. Oh boy, I heard that a lot. Yeah, mend your line, mend your line, mend your line. Bob so, Granger, he was the, I think the first guy that we ever floated yeah. the Yellowstone with. I uh, used to. What year was say that? that? That was 1996. Yeah, that was the year my son was born. I, I realized uh, I, I that was in the fall. Yeah. Yeah, Christian it was, was in October. Yeah. Yep. So Christian was almost a year old. Yep. So yeah, we didn't catch much that day, but uh, we caught a couple whitefish. Yeah, it was a. It was a cold day. And, Didn't you uh, catch a brown? I think you caught one brown. I'm sure it was probably 24 inches or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, I, I might have. I don't. I honestly don't remember. It was a. T- I was a little disappointed. All I remember is Bob saying, "Mend your line, mend your line." Yeah. And so that, that's I, whether so you're important. nymph fishing or even dry fly fishing and and mending the line as you're casting it. Yeah. I was working on that in the driftless uh, just a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. when we were out. Just this idea when you have those longer casts, trying to mend, make that final. Uh, stroke to to you know to make that little loop to so that it it has some time to drift before it catches um, in, in the in the current. So right. um, yeah, mend your line with nymph fishing. It's just it's just a constant struggle and a, and it's just the art of fly yeah. fishing. Yeah, right? yeah. If you're new to fly fishing, when we talk about mending your line, what we're saying is when when you throw your your fly out there, you, you've got this long stretch of line and what invariably happens is that the, as you're looking at your line, maybe you've got 20 feet of line out there, about halfway, uh, half the distance from you to you know, the, the middle of the line, 
uh, that midsection is going to get pulled by the current. So you want to flip it back uh, upriver so that, that that's not leading and dragging your fly through the water. If that sounds really confusing, just Google mend your fly line. Yeah, a lot of great you, videos. You'll see some videos of what Orvis that is. Orvis has some great videos on yeah, that. Yeah, they, they really do. Oh, hey, here, let's do a bonus round, Dave. Got to ask this. What's what's the funniest thing that we've ever heard a guide say about the other? So do you recall the funniest thing you've ever heard a guide say to me or about me? I don't. I, I honestly don't because you're kind of the perfect fly fisher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just rolling their eyes and shaking their heads. There, there's nothing to say. So. I, I remember one about me. It's the one earlier I mentioned about Ben. You know, this is all about me. But um, let's just move to the next run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I went, oh, shame washed oh, over man. me and, you know, insecurity. I went, oh, I'm so bad. I'm trying to think about you. When... What was? Do you remember well, something funny? You know, I'm always being corrected, but I guess it's not that funny. I remember the guide in the driftless said, "Hey, this is not Montana. You got to slow down a little bit." Oh yeah, because you were moving from run to run. Yeah, yeah. there's not a lot of river to fish. No, a lot that, of creek that, to fish up here. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I think the funniest thing that I've heard a guide say, and of course this is Toby because he has such a dry sense of humor. Is Dave? Don't let that fish get under the boat. <laughs> and, and it about, did and about 10 seconds later crack you know this nice sage rod no it was that orvis h2 oh yes that's right which is just as expensive oh, oh that was so hilarious dave don't let that fish get under the yeah. boat it's crack. under the boat snap yes. and then there's just silence and so i know oh. toby in his head he's probably thinking he's probably swearing at me yeah. but he's being the gracious Hey, how about those cubs, right? So, yeah, I mean, the next thing you know, right. we're getting a new rod out. I think that was actually the end of their day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was also a really nice rainbow. I saw the thing flash oh, a couple times. It really was. It's a big uh, fish. Anyway, it ended up oh, being man. one of those. We were beached, too, along that little yeah. sandy mm -hmm. beach. I think he stopped so that I could get it in and ended up yeah. going underneath the boat because oh, it was. Anyway. Those things happen. There's no way you could walk it back to the shallows. No. You're in a boat. So. All right. It's time for great stuff from our listeners. Harry made this comment on Dave's piece, the joy of fly fishing at the end of days. And I thought this was touching. He said, my grandfather ice fished until he was 84 and died when he was 85. My mother caught her last trout on a fly when she was 84. Wow. And also died at 85. They were products of the Depression. Neither of them ever waxed very poetic about fishing. They just did it and did it until others said it was time to come home, regardless of how good the fishing was that day. We each fished in ways and for reasons of our own. I'll never sit in judgment of others. I do, however, plan to fish until I can't. I am my mother's son, after all. That is so awesome. That what really a great is. Comment. That is, and that's what we've said before. We're, we plan to fish until we can't, you know. And remember, we were talking the other day about how we we'd love to fly fish together, and even into our eighties, if you know, if God grants us life and health, that would be that'd be great. Well, it's one reason I think for me to try to stay in shape and to uh, you know manage my food intake and yeah. try to get as much exercise as possible. Is you know, the older you get. Um, some things drop off. Like I was even thinking about those fly fishers on Canfield Creek several weeks ago, and they weren't moving too fast, and they were only going up really halfway that I right. saw on mm -hmm. the creek. 
and they really even hadn't gotten to the great fishing yet. Right. So you almost had to hike a mile before you got to the mm-hmm. good, better fishing. Yeah. And I think the older you get, you want to make sure you have that ability to walk farther than the next guy. And, you really do. And get up there. And, but this actually reminds me, I have to tell the story. So this last weekend, Jana and I, my wife Jana and I, went to a Garth Brooks concert at the U of I, the state fart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, my. I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> it was the, the state farm pavilion or state farm center. <laughs> You better start the whole story over. Well, anyway, okay, so we were at a Garth Brooks concert, and uh, because of my wife's connections, her cousin was an NBA coach, and his agent ended up being the lawyer for Garth Brooks's foundation. Oh, so cool. we ended up getting really good tickets, and we got a backstage pass. So right before the concert, um, we got to see Garth Brooks and got my picture taken with Garth. Cool. And, you know, the, the ultimate hangers on. So, um, but the one thing that struck me here is Garth. He's 55 years old, same age as we are. He ran around that stage like a 25 year old. Wow. And it was the best concert I've ever attended. And his energy level was off the charts. He was like a high performance athlete. Man. And then the next day, which was Saturday, he was going to do two concerts in one day. I thought, Man. At 55 years old, this guy has the energy, really, of someone half his age. And um, it's just a good reminder of the, the importance of staying in shape as much as possible. That of course, is. there are things that come out of the blue, that, you know, health issues that are um, you have no control over. But yep. as much as you do have control over those things, you know, I think our vision is to fly fish until, yep. until we can't get out on I the know. river anymore. Honestly, that's what keeps me going to the gym. I, you know, I, I've got son a couple sons-in-law and one of my sons who man they love they just love to work out i think this is the most boring thing in the world but i do it because this is uh this is fly fishing prep and it I, yeah and i understand big picture it's it's for my health too but that's the that's what i say to myself to, to yeah, keep me going absolutely you know, this is gonna allow me to fly fish yeah for sure yeah. for sure well that's gonna do it for today please tell us about a particularly fine day you had on the river what lessons have you learned from fly fishing guides you've used? Please go to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. What skills or concepts have you learned from your fly fishing guides? You can find Two Guys in a River pretty much everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher. And you can also visit our website, twoguysinariver.com, where you can find all our podcasts and all our articles. And we'd love for you, of course, to purchase our book, the Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish. You can buy the book on Amazon.com. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs> <laughs>